I'm Zach. I'm a musician, a former worship leader. I helped destroy Mars Hill Church, and I'm not really sure what I believe in. I'm Dave. I'm a Bible theology nerd, an occasional preacher, a movie buff, and an evangelical. We have company here. A little bit of peer pressure. I've been, hearing, I've been hearing that all the cool kids are deconstructing. You get a lot of street cred. Just, do you care about being cool? Because not really. Give you a chance, you know. I'm not 42, much. man. How am I going to be cool at 42? <laughs> okay, well, not by being an evangelical, I'll tell you that. The ship, the ship has sailed. This is Veterans of Culture Wars. Veterans of Culture Wars is a podcast where we talk about the beliefs, history, culture, and personal stories from evangelical Christianity. We welcome you to the podcast, whether you are a believer or not. And for this episode, Zach and I conducted a special experiment. We were going to have a guest planned, a return guest, actually. And uh, they had to bail just because of things going on at their work. And so we put an experiment out on Twitter, and that experiment involved asking anybody out there in our audience, if you wanted to come and talk with us at the VCW, share your evangelical story, send us a message. And Zach, lo and behold, somebody did. We got a message. We, we did. Yeah, we have uh, on the show a listener for quite a long time, uh, uh, John Smart has been listening to the show um, long enough to have interacted with us on Twitter uh, a fair amount over the last year or so, and also has the distinction of of having known past guest uh, Jeffrey Overstreet for many years, uh, so we thought it would be a good idea, uh, a good opportunity to collect some dirt on Jeffrey before we invite him back. Absolutely. <laughs> so, welcome. And I should add, uh, yep. Oh, I should add. add, John mentioned he was definitely a veteran of the culture wars as well, like a, a grizzled, long time, many years veteran of the wars going on out there. Definitely have the battle scars, yes. Pro- not not signing up for that again, I'd imagine. Not no, trying to stay away from the, the battle for the most part. You're a little safe bit here. on Twitter. We don't- we don't do any drafting or enlisting or anything here at the VCW. You know, we we just We're not we just share gang. stories. We we try to have some empathy. We, you know, you're, you're not you're not going into combat anymore at the at the VCW. My ball, perspective so. is that you know a, a lot of us never never signed up to be part of it. We got no. we got conscripted by you know our parents, our the the church culture we were part of, the eras, uh, fascinations uh and ended up being in the middle of things and fighting whether we wanted to or not would that would that describe your experience yeah i mean i think i was uh, uh what's the word conscripted drafted into it um i grew up in a baptist family uh born into a baptist family and uh went they uh christian educators on top of that so i was thrown into you know, Sunday school, Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, Wednesday service, and then also going to a Christian school. So you can imagine there's a little bit of indoctrination that goes on there. <laughs> yeah. And was, was, was the school um, part of the ch- part of your church or was it a separate? Uh, no, it was it was separate from the church. It was, it was a non-denominational Christian school. Oh, okay. But you mentioned you were Baptist. Is this Southern Baptist or is it a different kind of Baptist? Um, you know, I don't really remember what the church was at the time, but my parents went to Bob Jones University and then were, uh, I think they did some extra like um, post-grad work at Pensacola Christian. So that Ooh, yeah. if you're familiar with those, the Becca book system and yeah. and all of that, it's pretty uh, right, right wing conservative yeah. pretty much They're- all the way. Those are two of probably the most 
the most conservative Christian colleges in the country. I guess we maybe shouldn't say most conservative. I guess most well-known is better or probably the biggest college that happens to be like really, really right-wing. Yeah, um, definitely. We're, yeah. we're talking in the, uh, in the sixties, you know, when my parents would have been going there, it was pretty segregated and, uh, you know, no interracial dating and things like that. And just, you know, lots of, uh, issues along there. Uh, and that's kind of what my parents came out of. And, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't experience that, you know, I didn't feel like my parents were directly, you know, teaching me rate to be a racist or anything like that, but it was more just the, the underlying thing as I grew older, I was like, wait, this isn't quite um, maybe the equitable way of, of uh, looking at the world. <laughs> yeah. And that might be common with a lot of people that kind of like what we were talking about at the beginning of the show that Zach mentioned, some people just find themselves in a culture. Like we're all in a culture. We're all swimming in culture that is handed to us. And, and it sounds like your parents may have been that way too, that all their networking, all their friends, the people that they knew were in that world. It sounds like you might've been like independent Baptist or, or something of, of that yeah. nature, like a really conservative end of the Baptist, which if you're more conservative than Southern Baptist, that's like really, really, really conservative. But that's, uh, that's what yeah. the independent Baptists are out there doing. And I think my dad being part of... Um, Christian schools, uh, you know, we, we moved, we lived in Salem when I was a young, uh, young child. And then, uh, about junior high moved up to Portland and, uh, you know, he moved to a different school up here. It was a little bit more, you know, Portland is going to generally be a little bit more liberal anyway. So in, in a church sense you had, and, and non-denominational, you just had a lot of different, you know, it wasn't a huge swath, but at least within a conservative viewpoint you had different perspectives and so it was not you couldn't couldn't uh at least at school anyway uh get away with too much of you know indoctrination and stuff or, or this is the the way things are interpreted and things like there's a little more openness to oh yeah there's different ways to interpret the bible so did you ever do any public schooling um or like for college did you end up going to a christian university if you went to college uh, I ended up going to uh, Lewis and Clark, which is probably the uh, exact opposite on the scale of left to right um, up here in Portland, uh, Lewis and Clark. I think it's a university now at the time it was a college, uh, but I only went there for a couple of terms uh, and then uh, just it was very it was very difficult. Uh, you can imagine I, I didn't really fit in. Um, I did. I really struggled with trying to relate to, you know, I was an athlete and so I was playing football um, and also making friends with people who were, you know, definitely left of center. Uh, and so obviously with football, guys are a little bit more conservative politically, maybe not Christian, but politically. And then so I just was getting thrown around uh, trying to figure things out. Uh, thinking really too hard, <laughs> I got pretty, pretty depressed. I remember I, I visited a friend at Reed College mm -hmm. um, before my my freshman year started. They they started before the Seattle Pacific uh, um, semester would start, and uh, even after having had three years of of public school after ten years of of Christian school. Um, the experience of a few days at Reed was pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, and, and Lewis and Clark is probably like way over onto that side. Reed, yeah. Reed is, reads a little bit even further in terms of, I think, just the way the school is structured, but definitely the mindset and the thing, you know, was definitely the, the same. My uncle Russ went to Reed College. Shout out to Uncle Russ, who definitely does not listen to this show. But uh, he, he had some pretty... <laughs> pretty wild stories from, uh, from, from Reed, but, uh, this, this is fascinating to me. So you were at Lewis and Clark. So you're, it sounds like you're part of an independent Bible church growing up. You're in the Christian school world, and then you're put into this, like you said, the, another world, it's like you entered another multiverse by going to Lewis and Clark. And do you remember, so, you know, you're a Christian at that time, you're a conservative Christian, 
Do you remember some of the issues or the tensions that you felt or thought about while you were in college? And well, how that yeah, yeah. Out? I, I remember specifically uh, as a freshman going and taking a sociology class and sitting through the first few lectures and um, and I and I should say that at, at my high school, we actually had a really good, uh, there were two actually really good teachers there. There was a lot more than two good teachers, but um, that, that really challenged us to think we had a history teacher and then a, another uh, another one who, who taught a Christian perspectives in society and government that was actually a really good in, uh, intro into <laughs> to thinking about what you're doing to actually critical thinking about, you know, communism, socialism, uh, political ideologies and different things and how Christianity fits into those different things and, and not just looking at body counts, but trying to, you know, uh, actually look at, at the, the perspective that's going into it and can it fit into a Christian perspective? What does it mean? So, so I had already get, gotten a pretty good uh, foundation in trying to think through those things. So then I sit in a sociology class, which was definitely, um, you know, coming at it from a completely, you know, not certainly not a God-centered perspective at all. And I remember going up to the professor afterwards and going, well, you know, I'm a Christian and, and this is, I don't know if this stuff really fits into how I view the world. And, and, you know, so how can I, you know, approach this class and how can I do this? And he was like, well, I would suggest you probably drop out because it's not going to work out for you. (laughs) Uh, And I think he, I I didn't understand it at the time. I think I understand it a little bit more now uh, being a a 50 year old man and hearing some of the things that young people say that are uh, Christians that, that maybe he, you know, just didn't want to deal with some of that um, uh, immaturity maybe that I would have had at that time in my life. Were, were you politically conservative or just theologically conservative? Well, at the time, I, I kind of uh, went through a libertarian phase, which mm. at the time to me, that just meant limited government, you know, and I just didn't think uh, the, that, um, you know, that because I and especially that's that's born out of my family, uh, you know, that that everything should be local. You know, all government should be uh, focused on a local level. Federal government should be extremely limited and all of that kind of stuff. But it wasn't until much later, uh, more like in my late 20s, when I start when I started reading uh, some. Well, I took I went to Portland State later and studied history and uh, started kind of learning a little bit more about, you know, Marx and. Foucault and all that kind of stuff and, and kind of just getting a different perspective on, on the world, uh, a little more and, and political. Um, I'm definitely a lot more left-leaning at this point. Libertarians for a while, I thought were just Republicans that are cool with weed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was going to say, uh, you were, it seems like you might've been a libertarian early before it became kind of a fashionable thing on the right, because I feel like maybe this is because I was 28 during the 2008 uh, election, the presidential election, but that's when Ron Paul really surged and kind of captured the nation's attention, almost in a way that Bernie Sanders would later do in the 2016 election on the left. And so libertarianism kind of became this you know, kind of thing in right-wing politics. I, it's kind of phony libertarianism, I think, in, in my from my perspective, but I understand the Koch brothers are that direction as well. But it kind of seems like you were in that camp even before it became, quote-unquote, cool among the people on the right. Yes, I, um, well, I, I think it probably has a lot to do with being from Oregon. And I, I don't know if you guys have this as much in Washington, but it's very, Oregon is very known for, uh, independence, you know, just of, of not, you know, not really, even Democrats have a hard time calling themselves Democrats. It's more like, you know, we're, you know, they, they try to, there's, there's a very, um, a history of that independence. I think uh, our senators, who, who of course, all their names have, have left my mind right now, but um, 
uh, Mark Hatfield was a Republican, but was able to hold a Senate seat for a lot of years in Oregon because he was, he kind of straddled the line between uh, Democrats and Republicans. But anyway, so, so I think that's more of what it was. I always thought of myself as independent. And then I kind of went with the, um, uh, with libertarian just as, uh, again, because of that small local stuff, uh, uh, you know, seeing government as local first and then federal on a much uh, smaller scale, uh, but bigger problems. And then it sort of became taxation is theft and let's just not have any government services for anything. You're, yeah, you're I on your own. Never, Good luck. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't there at that point. It was more, just and there was a little bit of that don't tread on me type of idea but um i was never quite in in that so how when, when did you meet jeffrey and and were, was he already on his his creative journey of expanding his frame of reference and his understanding of the world at that time yeah, or- I- I don't know how much I should share. I don't know how much he wants to keep <laughs> private and, and public and everything, but, but we, I moved up to Portland, started going to school in sixth grade uh, with at the school that he went to. Um, so we, uh, we knew each other for what is that uh, t- six years of, of school. So through junior high and high school Um and he definitely was, so we, we played basketball together. That was kind of our first, you know, getting to know each other. We were in a play together in sixth grade. Oh, um, what show do you remember? It was a, uh, it was called the enchanted journey. Uh, and it was, a a, uh, a rewriting of the pilgrim's progress. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so Jeff was the narrator. Sorry, Jeffrey was the narrator. And uh, I think I was forgetting all the names of the characters, but I was the main character's best friend and trying, trying to guide to him think. along. Okay. Um, um, what is the Pilgrim's Progress? Um, the main guy's just named the main guy just named Pilgrim, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so original. I, he's I just going to be upset with me for forgetting all this stuff evangelist evangelist that was actually my name and then the i can't remember what um, oh, the main character is actually named christian oh christian that's right we got very subtle pliable subtle, uh, the worldly wise man that was that was a good one yeah yeah <laughs> so we were in that play together jeff was very involved in that kind of stuff and then um we played basketball together and it, it was a pretty big moment our sophomore year of high school he dropped out of basketball to pursue writing and uh that's what you know that's when i cut him off at that point no i'm just i'm kidding um we were still friends but it did you know we separated a little bit because we didn't spend all you know as much time together and everything because uh just of the direction we kind of chose but um stayed friends for a long time that's really cool and um circling back around uh just to your christian faith um, and thinking about your life and all the experiences you had in college, um, would you would you still consider yourself a Christian now? Uh, would it just be in the evangelical camp or agnostic or I don't know? Or what what are your thoughts about faith currently? Or is it important to you to have a term? <laughs> I I would say that um, I am in the let the mystery be camp. <laughs> of you know I I don't. I have definitely in the last year or two become pretty, you know, have started to explore again what, you know, Jesus might mean and what God might mean uh, in my life. And um, it's and a lot of it, it's it's funny because, I, you know, the whole exvangelical thing uh, that wasn't happening when I had my experience in 97 98 where i kind of just was like i'm i'm done with this and walked away so there wasn't a lot of places to go to kind of get that you know you were i was i guess i don't really know what other people thought of me because i kind of lost contact with a lot of my friends and everything at that point that's that's Um, what happens isn't it yeah yeah but it you know i was i guess i was 
what you would call apostate or backslidden or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. I just kind of hit a wall uh, and did not want to, to keep going in that direction. So I kind of kept it as a real, you know, I don't know what this thing is and I'm going to just, you know, I didn't stop trying to figure out what life was about or anything, but I just, you know, didn't want to, to make too many solid, you know, this is the way things are. Did you have a lot of friends at that time that weren't connected to your, your, your church or your, your general, you know, Christian social group? I did not most, well, I kind of, I had high school friends um, that were, you know, like Jeff that were Christian. Jeff is a lot more open than a lot of people than that. I uh, experienced, I've never felt that Jeff gave up on me or anything like that. Uh, And I have other friends that were kind of in that camp. Uh, but I had developed a whole nother set of friends through uh, my experiences with uh, a church that I attended uh, in the Portland area where I ended up getting involved with youth of the mission uh, in my early twenties. I know I'm kind of all over the place, uh, but it was YWAM. YWAM. Yeah. And so I, I had a lot of friends in that. And, and I, you know, uh, when I hit my wall, uh, that just all kind of, those friends went, went away and, and not all their fault. I mean, um, Bruce Coburn has a great song called, uh, the whole night sky. And he's in there. There's a line where he says, I, um, of course I'm going to forget the line. Um, uh, they turned their back. I made it too hard. That's, you know, is kind of how I see how, how that happened. You know, I just, I couldn't, uh, draw them in. Uh, cause I was too, too hurting and too, um, just couldn't deal with, with that at the time. Yeah. And that's a, that's a um, normal part of, of the process for a lot of yeah. folks of, of going through a period of like being confused and then like kind of frustrated and angry that, that you, that you believed this stuff or, or, yeah. or that you were part of a thing that you feel bad about your involvement with. And, and it's hard to not bring out that anger on the people that are still in it, even though, you know, they have their own journeys. Um, and I, I still struggle with, with, with that and, and trying not to um, put my frustrations with, with my own choices uh, on other folks that are still part of it. Um, that's, that's normal, but um <laughs> But for those that aren't going through that, it, it can be tough to deal with somebody like like us in those moments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I understand it, too, because, you know, uh, I remember some pretty, you know, uh, not really heated conversations, but emotional conversations that were, you know, what are you doing? Why are you, you know, why aren't you doing this? And you, you really don't believe this anymore or how, you know, and even talking about specific things. Uh, that were sort of my uh, flagstones along the way or whatever of, of just being like, you know, this one, I can't, I just can't deal with this one. And um, one of those was uh, spiritual warfare was a, a big thing at, at YWAM. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really, uh, I remember reading a book when I was in Youth of the Mission about spiritual warfare and all of these, you know, ley lines and they had all this stuff all laid out of how you know uh how demons gain power and all of this stuff and i know this may not be um uh, mainline christianity but it's anyway it's what they were teaching uh, some of them oh it's it's surprisingly i think when frank peretti was writing books in the 1980s and into the 1990s and the satanic panic and all of uh, that culture that started to come up in evangelical Christianity, I think it was pretty mainstream. People talking about really extreme and, and frankly, just bizarre kind of spiritual warfare stories and accounts and theology. And that all was circling the movement around that time. And, and you know, probably still is to this day, I would think, especially in Pentecostal and charismatic circles, but sometimes even yeah, outside. You, you, you definitely, re, of late, I've, I've seen it mentioned a whole lot more, but not as 
specifically about personally fighting against demons um, the way that I was hearing in the 90s. Okay. Um, but now it, it, there is a ton of language in the, you know, Trumpy, Trump evangelical uh, groups about how, you know, they're fighting a spiritual battle and they're, they're not fighting Democrats, they're fighting powers and principalities. And yes, but they're did, fighting Democrats. Did either of you read that New York Times article today? That it, it was a, about the the rise of of worship music at uh, at Trump protests and right wing events of late, uh, whether it be rallies to support the so called January sixth prisoners, um, to just MAGA rallies like worship music has become an increasingly uh, a central part of it. And reading that, like, it's not like it's news to me, but seeing instance after instance laid out and the quotes from folks talking about how awesome it is and how clearly this is evidence that God is moving and doing something big and revival is coming I, I was, it made me want to like share it on Facebook and finally like come out as a non-believer on Facebook. <laughs> for, you were that for, close to pulling the trigger, huh? Yeah. I, I just, I, I was, I was, I physically, my, my body was responding to reading this piece. Wow. Uh, I, 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 it wasn't like I was feeling nauseous, but I could like, I felt physically responding and it was so complex how i was responding because partially it's like okay this is straight up blasphemous but also why should i care if it's blasphemous anymore <laughs> um but the it's 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 almost like I never feel like I was one of those people that I would have attended one of those marches and all that because I was always left leaning politically, but I still like want to believe that the me of the past was still a, a pretty good person and, and not contributing to anything like that, that we're seeing now. You, you had the spirit of discernment back then, <laughs> but yeah, I, but maybe, I was part of it. I was on the team. I contributed in some way and, and I, I still think I would have been very aghast at what was happening, but it's, it was so frustrating to read that and know I, I could name people in my life that could read that same article and go, that's awesome. I mean, it, it, you know, I don't like reading the fake news, New York times, but man, so cool to see the name of Jesus praised in, in the paper of record and, Showing what's happening at these rallies. Yeah. It's disgusting. <laughs> right. And I understand blasphemy may not, you may not be concerned with that word anymore. I am. I think it's idolatry. But I think maybe what you're feeling, Zach, is this is going on in our country and it's going to affect all of us, no matter what we believe whether we are yeah, it's like still committed for Christians, as, as much as I think I could get away, I but, can't get away if they control everything and their goal is to make us yeah. all part of them, you know? Well, I, I, I mean, it's definitely, it's a minority of the country. It may even be a minority of people who are under the umbrella of conservative, but it may be enough people to really do damage. And I think even, you know, thinking back to our conversation with Brad Onishi, who, is an academic and a professor who studies this kind of stuff. There's, I mean, I think we're beyond like concern now, like maybe beyond red alert. I mean, there's, this is a huge thing in our country. And regardless of where we are at a faith spectrum, I mean, people treating Donald Trump like a messianic figure, like a American savior of some sorts. And the fact that he, as of right now, has a decent chance of winning the Republican nomination in 2024 again, and maybe winning the presidency again. It's, it's just, uh, just wild. Yeah. I, I, I can't, I can't go there. 
I mean, I honestly like fear for my safety uh, mentally, <laughs> what, what oh. I might do. I, it was really, 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 really dark for the four years of his first term. I, I can't, I can't go through that again. I don't know. It's, it scares me. Well, but maybe one of the results is that somehow during that, a person like me started actually thinking about this stuff again and taking it seriously and taking it, you know, going on Twitter and reading David Dark and some other folks and, and you know, uh, and starting to engage again. I mean, I'm in the same boat with you, Zach, when I go, well, I don't, why do I care about this? Why am I reading this stuff on Twitter? Why, why am I interacting with some pastor from some church off somewhere? Because I think he's, you know, he's not right about what the Bible says. <laughs> why? Yeah. I, I mean, I, cause I'm in the same boat as you in terms of, I don't know that I really even believe it anymore, but something inside of me is, is stirred by that stuff. And I feel like it's, it's damaging people and it's um, you know, it's making people like, like Dave look bad um, who are trying to, you know, find their way and, and be considerate with people and let them be who they are. Um, and then there's people that are just trying to seem like they're just trying to crush people. And it's not uh, in spite of all the things that happened in my upbringing and everything, I know it's not, uh, not a true Scotsman thing, but you know, I, it's not the Christianity that I see when I read the Bible, if that's the best. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really easy to look at them and be like, you're supposed to care about this stuff. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> like, exactly. Why, don't why do I care? care more than you? So, <laughs> it, it, I mean, I mean, we, we, we've seen it. We, we've, you know, I don't, I don't know if anybody's turned people away from Christianity more effectively than Donald Trump um, in the, in the last few years. And so, you know, what one side thinks uh, what one, one type of, of Christian thinks that he's the best thing for Christianity and a huge swath of others think, all right, that means I'm done. <laughs> See ya. Yeah. And I think that's maybe the best thing he's done is, is make people honestly say what they believe as ugly as it is so that there's no effective Jesus juke, you know, that people can, can see clearly what they're in for if they're going to be on the team and they can choose to get out. John, uh, just uh, I want to ask you again about your story in YWAM, or, or I think after YWAM, when you uh, decided, you said to walk away from Christianity. And feel free if you don't want to share, just want to share limited. That's totally fine. Um, but I'm wondering. It sounds like some of your walking away was intellectual. You were kind of wrestling with some of the teaching about <laughs> demonic spiritual warfare stuff. But was there something in the church that happened to you as well that that caused you to rethink things or walk away or what, what was going on in your mind back then that's a really good question i think if i if i keep it a little more intellectual i i will say um that i i could not i could not get rid of my doubt and i felt like what evangelical Christianity was asking me to do was sacrifice my doubt to some, some, you know, certainty about the way the world is and who God is and what, and so once I do that, then I can go and conquer the world. Um, and I just don't think that that, I just could not swallow that. Equating faith with certainty. 
Yeah. And I, I can remember a very specific moment watching a Billy Graham documentary from probably somewhere in 92 or something like that. Um, and there was discussion about a man named Charles Templeton, who he uh, worked with in his younger days in the 50s. And he has a whole nother story of, of well, well, so what they did in the documentary was basically say, Billy Graham went on the mountaintop and, you know, cast aside all doubt uh, and came down from the mountain. And that's why he was able to start his ministry. And that's why he did all, you know, brought all these people to the Lord and, and all of these revivals and, and, um, and all of that. Uh, and Charles Templeton was his friend and was a fellow evangelist in the fifties. Uh, and he just could never, you know, get rid of that doubt. And so they kind of used him and his story as a way to kind of, you know, well, he wasn't as good as Billy Graham and he wasn't this and wasn't that. And he turned away from, from God. And, and I just remember in the credits, they said, you know, they put his picture up there and said something about, you know, divorced three times, blah, this and that. And I was just like, what, why are you picking on this guy? I mean, he's a, a human being <laughs> who struggles yeah. with his faith and you're, you're comparing him to Billy Graham and using, and, and the funny thing is I heard the same comparison made and I can't remember if it was on the Mars Hill podcast or if it was on another Mike Cosper thing. Uh, but he used the same example. He talked, I think it might've been in the the one where they had um, the purity guy, um, Joshua. I don't know if you get. Yes, I think when he was on there, they might have used that same example. So they they haven't given up on that for some reason. Um, so I, I just that was a moment where I just kind of went. I I just can't do. I can't sacrifice my doubt. I've got, I've got to, you know, I don't know if it was hold on to it or I can't grab this certainty in the way that these people want me to grab grab that i get that yeah it's there's it's such a problem of there's not a recognition that christians get divorced too and that people actually committed to the church go through really hard life circumstances sometimes get divorced multiple times like charles templeton but the intent of i think saying something like that is they're pretty much implying that if you're going to be a Christian, you have to have your life together and at least present a outward look that looks like this perfect nuclear family or having this perfect faith, not having any doubt. Um, we, we talked before on the show that to say that you have faith at least implies doubt to some extent, like, you know, maybe it's like 1% doubt, 99% faith or something. But I mean, there, there's always doubt and faith are going to are going to interplay together i think no matter no matter what someone believes to some extent i just don't get how you could have any faith without the presence of doubt unless you're just deadening cut cutting off part of your of your brain (laughs) you know like you're not using your critical thinking skills you know like being afraid of thinking about things too much and i know people do that um and that's just not how i could choose to live it creates cognitive dissonance and and, you know, and it, it affects yeah. how you how you perceive other things in the world too mm-hmm. yeah templeton i don't know a ton about him but he was a he was an interesting guy i think like john i i basically just heard the negative side but i do know he wrote i think quite a few books and some of them were about you would take the resurrection accounts, the four gospels. Oh, you have one. Okay. Farewell to God by Charles Templeton. But I remember he, um, I think I read that he took the resurrection accounts and he was investigating kind of the differences or perhaps the apparent discrepancies and with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as, as a reason for some of the doubts that he had, just some of the things in the, in the Bible, the whole, probably the, the inerrancy conversation that, didn't didn't jive with with him personally um but yeah i don't think that like you said he's a human being he shouldn't be smeared he shouldn't be used as like a a contrast of like saintly godly billy graham man and then over here the devil's hand man charles templeton i mean 
Yeah. You know, well, and it's interesting what people look at, like when you think of fruit, what, what people bear, what kind of fruit people bear and, and what kind of, what you use as a judgment of that, you know, is it their, their life that they got divorced a couple of times that they, you know, haven't, uh, they didn't stand up on a stage and lead millions of people to the Lord or whatever, you know? And I mean, I'm not trying to knock down a sacred cow or anything, but I don't, I don't know Billy Graham. I don't know what his life was like. I look at Franklin Graham and I, you know, is that fruit? Um, is, you know, is, is that what you look at when someone, it, it isn't what I would look at, but, um, you know, it's, it's a question of, of what, what was really going on. We don't know. And, you know, it's like, we have the celebrity thing that, you know, Billy Graham is this kind of, um, it's an image that's projected. Yes. It's the image. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Cruz's book, one nation under God is a pretty good resource for learning more about, about Billy Graham and his political involvement and that, you know, the, the origins of, of the religious right. And um, I remember when I was reading that, like tweeting at him, like, like, uh, is he, does this, is he basically the same as Franklin Graham? And, and Kevin was like, no, Frank, Frank, Franklin Graham is way more um, but shameless political animal than, than Billy Graham was essentially like yeah. more, right. more devoted to just politics. Yeah. Billy, Billy, I think definitely was conservative leaning, but he, there was a, it was the old school gentlemanly, you know, I'll get along with you. Hey, Bill Clinton, I'll, I'll come to the white house and pray with you. And I don't think he really said many disparaging things, at least publicly about democratic presidents. Uh, some of the stuff he said on the Nixon tapes privately to Nixon were really ugly, including anti-Semitic, which he later apologized for. Um, yeah, that was, that came out in the nineties. That was a real, you know, that was probably one of the biggest scandals I think of his entire career. Um, but that was that was ugly stuff. And there was stuff with him not um, not supporting MLK as well, right? Yeah, he he invited MLK to open prayer and stuff at his crusades, and but he also had segregationists open in prayer as well. And he eventually desegregated his crusades, but I I don't think he marched at all in the civil rights movement. And sadly, that was really typical of evangelicals. I mean, you, you would have some Catholics out there, but there wasn't a ton of support coming from the white Protestant church with MLK. Yeah, B really Billy, Billy Graham Day. was pretty okay with keeping that that negative peace, that absence of tension. And yeah. and uh, and King was like, "Come on, Billy, <laughs> you, yeah. can, you can do more." So in that in that sense, I think we see a political figure. With Billy Graham, because he he when he was doing his crusades, again I'm not a historian, I'm not an expert on this, but you know I've been around evangelicalism since the '90s, so I've heard lots of stories about Billy Graham. But I think you see the politics there because Billy Graham, the Southern Baptist, is the largest Protestant denomination in the country, and Billy Graham knew that if he went in too far with Martin Luther King Jr., he would probably lose a lot of his audience. So he was a political figure in the sense of trying to keep things together, trying to communicate and offer olive branches, so to speak, but not, like Zach said, going all the way to embrace civil rights and image of God and, and fellow people and, and calling out racism as a sin. So, John, you, you, you started listening to, to our podcast around the time of the 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 Mars Hill episodes. Um, mm -hmm. What what interested you about the the story of Mars Hill? Well, I definitely remember reading about it in The Stranger um, at different times. That is the name of it, right? The yeah, paper yeah. from Seattle. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I'm I'm from Portland, so I go up to Seattle a lot, and you know, uh, vacation up in the uh, the Sound and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, I've, I've, I, so I read about it when it was going on in The Stranger, and uh, I guess I just, I'm not sure exactly what uh, made me start to listen to it, but I just was really interested in 
uh, I started to realize that, uh, I guess this is what it is. I started to realize that I possibly um, had experienced spiritual abuse in, in my life uh, because I didn't have those words. Uh, I was, you know, reading a lot of things on Twitter, which would lead me to different books and, uh, podcasts and things and hear people talk about spiritual abuse. Uh, and I just kind of started to realize, oh yeah, I guess that's a name for what happened to me, what, what these wounds are from, uh, that it's not, uh, it's not just some random thing, but like, we can put a name, I I can put a name on it and say, you know, this person, uh, you know, I was questioning this and they basically said, you know, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. Or they, they weren't, you know, sensitive to what I was going through. Um, they, um, I'm trying to think of, of the specific way to describe it. Um, but just, just having a, an un, unhealthy influence in someone's life on, you know, every ask, you know, discipleship for me in a few instances became, you know, someone, uh, I, I was uh, an indecisive person about what I wanted to do with my life. And so, you know, this person was willing to say, oh, this is what you should do. And now, you know, and when I would start to make decisions that wouldn't line up with that, it's like, no, this is, you know, we talked about this, this is where you need to go, go into youth with a mission, do this. And, uh, so that became God's voice to me, um, in a way, um, so I guess that that's, you know, that to have a, a spiritual, be able to put a term on there, spiritual yeah. abuse and realize that's what was going on in my life. And then, you know, seeing it played out in a pretty large scale with, with uh, Mark Driscoll, um, you know, and, and, also, and reading about it back then and just going, man, what is going on in this, this place? So <laughs> I'm it's glad so I helpful to have those, that, that language to be able yeah. to understand your own story. Um, and I, I, I remember when, when I was going through this stuff uh, with, with Marzo, when it, when it was collapsing and when I was running the website and all that, I remember driving around with my dad and him telling me about, about a spiritually abusive experience he had at a church and, and confronting a pastor about it and being, being told that he was divisive and that he was the troublemaker and, and him leaving the church and because he had that experience he wasn't one of those folks that was questioning what i was doing as as you know you know airing out the dirty laundry of the church in front of the world and and making making us look bad and you know you know uh tearing down god's anointed or anything like that like he he got it like he could see that it was a harmful place that had hurt me and from his own experience, which I'd never heard about prior to that, um, he, he recognized what was going on and appreciated what I was doing. And that was really, really cool that I think both of us in that time were able to recognize uh, what had happened to both of us. And, and it was a while longer before I had more language to, to talk about it in any sort of specifics. But, um, that was still really helpful to have somebody else who mattered to me that was, you know, spiritually important in my life, like validate what I was doing as a response to the spiritual abuse. Yeah. That, I mean, I think it's happened to so many people and I, you know, it just, there wasn't that language in the, that I remember anyway, from the, when I was going through a lot of it, I had no, no real way to put a word on. I remember reading about cults and trying to understand, you know, some of the stuff that I went through the mind, mind games, uh, not necessarily a little bit of brainwashing, um, you know, uh, being in, in youth with a mission with, you know, um, intense training, you know, you're put in intense situations to kind of break you down and make you really emotional and then start trying to fill you up with, with what their beliefs are, um, that type of thing. And, but I, you know, there just, it just wasn't as, um, 
out there as it is now. And, you know, you can go on Twitter and hear people talking about all kinds of stuff. And, and I think that's maybe a good thing that's happening uh, from social media is that, you know, these groups of people that have experienced this are able to say, this is, this is real. This is what's going on. This is why I'm hurting. And, and eventually, you know, like part of me leaving was looking at that and saying, these aren't isolated incidents. This is baked yeah. into the culture um, that evangelicalism itself is harmful. That, that was a, that was a rough thing to, to accept. Um, but, um, I feel like it's, it's been good for me to, to accept that and, and, and move on. I'm sorry, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) We, We have our own journeys. Um, you know, the final episode of this podcast, when Dave finally leaves, it's going to be incredible. <laughs> I'm going to buy an air horn. It's, it, I'm going to play some reggaeton. Uh, reggaeton? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my this goodness. Is, this is our big Dave, Dave now hates Jesus episode. No, no, it'll, it'll never be. <laughs> no, that that's, problem. that's not going to happen. <laughs> Um, not the hating Jesus anyway. Um, no, no. but John, I was wondering as someone, uh, thank you for listening to the show and just being a part of these conversations with us as, as you've listened to various episodes here and there, are there any questions you have for Zach and I, that was something that Zach and I were messaging about earlier today. We were like, Oh, you know, we have somebody who's listened to the show and wonder if listeners have you know, things they wonder about us or questions they want to ask. I mean, we, we put out the call, Hey, you know, you want to, you want to come be on the show and, and, and talk to us about whatever, like what made you go? That sounds like a good idea. And uh... yeah, I don't know about that. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, you guys seem pretty approachable on your show. Um, Pretty, you know, down to earth and, and, and honest and open. And, and I've, I've appreciated that. I definitely wouldn't keep listening if I felt there was a, you know, it was disingenuous what you were offering. Um, I, uh, I really appreciated, uh, I'm totally blanking on his name. You said him earlier, Greg. Thornberry. Dr. Gregory Rock. Allen Thornberry. Dr. Gregory yes. Allen Thornberry. Yes. On Larry thought- Norman. I thought that episode was great. Uh, and, uh, and especially, uh, some of the comments that he made about, uh, Keith green, Keith green was a pretty big, um, influence in my life in the early nineties. Um, and so it was very interesting to hear him talk more about him as a human instead of as what, you know, his, he's perceived at as now. Um, and uh, I, you know, so I can't remember exactly, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but just something along the lines of how Keith was, you know, just, I, I don't, I don't even really want to say it because I can't remember exactly how he said it. It just was more human than, than what uh, my impression of him was that he was quite a, a prophet and, and all of that. Um, so I, I appreciated that. Uh, and you've really put me on the spot because um, my sorry about that. It doesn't. No, no, just my brain not a fishing is not for compliments sort of scenario. Like, no, no, and <laughs> no, not at all. I did not, and it's more like the specific questions because I I have had them, and then um, but it's they're not coming to me right now. Ah, no, no worries. That's fine. Um, you know, this is our first opportunity to do an episode like this, so. Right, figuring that out as we uh, as we go here. Um, But yeah, we're not going to be like, all right, give us your top (laughs) ten ECW moments straight from the hall. What's going on? Your banner of the most incredible, transformative, transcendent moments you have ever heard on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's see. It's so hard to pick. It's uh, yeah. They're all so good. (laughs) I mean, I don't remember the majority of what I have said on our podcast. I've I've had, I've had people message me now and then and they're like, 
like quote something that was said mm-hmm. by one of us saying like this like really hit me i'm like oh yeah that, that sounds pretty good <laughs> like did i who did i say that <laughs> i have enjoyed the show for sure and i feel like it's it's helped me a lot to uh approach different uh well just get some different perspectives on on topics and things and like i said i in a lot of ways i don't know I don't know why I'm thinking so much about the things that I am right now. I don't, I, I, I know because there's lots of things stirring in me to, to try to, you know, be a better person to be a, you know, more open with my wife and more open with the people in my life and make more connections and have, you know, uh, offer something to people instead of just be, you know, hiding away and, and hurt and in my, um, in my shell, I, I want to reach out to people and, and that are in my life and, and have a positive impact. That's yeah. yeah that's really what, great. What, what, what better hope could you have than that? I mean, uh, a, a lot of this for, for me, I've always been somebody that whether it's a traumatic experience or just a, a, a major thing happening in my life, I have to, talk through it i have i have to have conversations to help myself figure out what i think about it um and you know we've we've been able to talk to people with expertise uh in a really wide variety of areas that it's been shocking to me um who we've been able to talk with and you know we we talked earlier about like providing language for things to understand your experiences and and i guess that's my real hope here is that that i'm broadening the language that that i have as i as i talk to these experts and things and that that the listeners are are getting a broader clearer language to help them understand their own experiences and talk about them for me it seems to be working <laughs> so <laughs> i'm 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 glad that it it seems to be helping you um dave i hope it's helping you you've stuck around this long um it's, i don't know uh, what else you'd be getting out of it i can't be that fun to hang out with every week <laughs> oh man you're a blast to hang out with every week um yeah i i love i, I just love talking to people in the conversations and i'm, I'm always fascinated by what people believe, why they believe it, why they don't believe anymore, uh, what, the, what they think now, you know, what their journey has been like. Those are always things that really interest me. So we always try to keep an open door and openness to let people share. We've never wanted this to be a debate show or anything. Um, so we, we want people to feel safe and sharing what they need to share or want to share. That's, that's definitely been one of our values at the VCW. Um, and also we like movies here, you know, we show <laughs> movies every once in a while to VCW hall. Uh, but John, do you have any, uh, favorite movies? Do you have like a, you know, some movies you watched over the years that you enjoy? Um, yeah, yes, I definitely do. Um, I, um, boy, the first one that comes to my mind is, uh, is blue of the three colors trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my favorite is of the three pro- for sure. Yeah, probably one of my uh, one of my favorite movies, The Life Aquatic. I really like. All right. uh, I got West. to see a press screening of that, uh, but mm-hmm. but before it was released, and I hated it. And, uh-huh. <laughs> and it was like it was the most like disastrous movie experience of my life because I I went I went down to L.A. my my final semester of college focusing on film stuff i was obsessed with wes anderson um like i i I have internet friends from a wes anderson message board that started um after rushmore came out uh that we're all like sharing all the tidbits we could find Mm -hmm. about the production of of the royal tenenbaums and so i happened to be this this semester happened to line up with the upcoming release of the Life Aquatic, and I spent the entire semester getting every little bit of information to make sure that if a screening happened, that I'd be able to see it before I came back home, and the movie wouldn't come out for months, you know. And 
so I went, I, I, I had this, this opportunity. Actually, I went with, with uh, Brett McCracken who writes for the gospel coalition. Now he's, he is, he is a, he's a friend of mine that we definitely differ um, on politics and theology and all that. Um, but he introduced me to Terrence Malick movies. Uh, and um, yeah, we went to that and I remember Wes was supposed to be there. And then before the movie started, like, yeah, sorry, like uh, some got some mix up with his calendar, but it looks like Angelica Houston and Willem Dafoe are going to be here. And then they didn't show up either. <laughs> and, and it was at the Egyptian theater oh, in, in Hollywood, one of those like incredible old twenties movie palaces, you know? And, and I was, so I was kind of put off by, by all that like and and then it was very different tonally like i remember being super frustrated with owen wilson's death scene like how matter of fact and like emotionless it was and as i've rewatched the movie over the years i've done a complete 180 on it and that scene in particular i think is really effective in how startling and unexpected it is um it it feels like uh like the way godard would shoot a death scene or something um yeah. i think it uses a bunch of jump cuts and stuff but mm -hmm. um but yeah okay interesting so that's I, so that's one of your favorites and did you initially uh absolutely you you were you were into it or or did you have to come around to that one no i think i was pretty much into it i i think the the suits and the hats themselves uh, took me right in. Oh, okay. But no, just the, the I think I the probably shoes. the shoes too. I, I, want, I actually have some Adidas that are sort of like that, that I, I remember, I kind of forgot that that's probably why I got them um, when awesome. I rewatched it just recently. But yeah, I, I mean, I think I was definitely um, relating to the, um, how would you describe uh, Bill Murray's uh, mood in that sort of um, uh, there's a quote that I wrote down from the movie recently, but I can't, I can't find it, but uh, basically I haven't been doing well for the last 10 years or something like that is, was his response to trying to apologize. And just that scene where he's apologizing to Angelica Houston for you know, how, where he's been and uh, just, I don't know. I just related to that. And I guess also the, the father, uh, son, you know, question uh, what, you know, what is a father? How does, you know, he didn't have a great father. He wasn't a great father, but there was something that they were trying to connect on. And, and uh, I could definitely relate to, to that part of it. There's something about him trying to, be a father and hold out an olive branch of sorts by by letting him call him stevesy yeah 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 <laughs> that was really great. endearing like he can't go so far as dad but like how about stevesy <laughs> i was fascinated in my most recent watching of it a few weeks ago that uh that he it sounds like he wasn't really his father um, so the whole, and he would have known that. So all of everything that he was doing and reaching out to Owen Wilson in that was all with the knowledge that he, that Owen Wilson was wrong. So mm -hmm. it, it's kind of, to me, that added a whole nother layer of like, here's this, this man, he obviously wanted that somehow. And so, yeah, it's just an, an interesting, um, uh, look into someone's struggle of trying to find connection i guess agreed um, yeah I, I like that one cool. a lot um, big Cohen brothers fan too true right. grit was probably one of my favorites um i was a big lebowski guy for a long time but until it kind of became a little too part of the culture right. um but really liked it when it first came out well john you've been uh so gracious with your time and i'm Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been really, really fun just yeah. talking to you guys. Good. Absolutely. Good to meet you after all those Twitter conversations and all of that. So, yeah, man, thanks for sending us a message and saying, I want to come on and 
talk about my story. Yeah, we're glad Thank this you. little experiment actually uh, actually worked. So well, I hope I hope it worked. <laughs> we 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 put out we put out some bait. We got a bite. Turns out the fish was pretty cool. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> As you said, successful experiment. I think he was a cool guy. Wait, does that mean we're fishers of men? Oh, cool guy, cool story, and he is a Wes Anderson fan and also a movie fan. So that's uh, we we collect a lot of you know nice people around here at the DCW. Yeah, and I think you know listening to his story, like I. I to, to, to me, it sort of shows that, like, there's so many people like us that have these shared experiences with spiritual abuse and church trauma and, and weird spiritual warfare shit <laughs> and being, yeah. being part of something that is, is out of your control and scary and uh you know being pulled into these culture wars that you never asked to be part of um you know there's not anything crazy unique about about our stories you know i i think my particular involvement with the mars hill stuff has has been a thing that people find interesting and that's something that i can talk about that may feel distinct but it's it's part of a piece with so many other people's stories. You know, it's, 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 I, I, I relate to so many of the guests that we talk with, sure. get the feeling that a lot of the listeners that you relate to us and our stories. Um, so as, as long as this continues to be helpful for you to, to, to download this stream, this, you know, to listen to, to this, then, then I hope you keep doing it. If it stops being helpful, that's fine. I hope that that being part of this community, if we can call it that, um, has helped given you language to understand your story better and and grow. With that being said, if you have enjoyed our show, please leave us a five star rating where you like to get podcasts. Send us a review. Uh, most of the reviews are really fun to read. Some of them have constructive criticism. Others are just notes from people all around the country, just of different encouragement and different things they're getting from the show. So that means a lot to Zach and I if, uh, if any of you listeners want to reach out out there. Uh, this has been another episode of Veterans of Culture Wars. You can follow us on Twitter at DCWPod. I am at Dave J. Lester. Zach is at Muzak, M-U-Z-A-C-H. Get on Zach's website, muzak.bandcamp.com. Order his vinyl Christmas record. I know it's only April, but you can order it now, and you will definitely, I can pretty much guarantee you, have it in time for the holidays this year. And uh, you can check out his other music and stuff. Music and logo for the show, done by Zach. Thanks so much for coming down to the VCW. Um, thanks, John, for coming. Uh, I'm Thank you, John. That, that we had uh, enough extra seats here in the hall uh, to to make it comfy for everybody. And um, yeah, re- remember, as always, the podcast is free, but you still need to tithe ten percent. 